Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today we're speaking with Renee Bauer, who is a divorce attorney in Connecticut. She's also a divorce educator, and she hosts the podcast Happy Even After. How are you today, Renee? I'm doing well. Thank you, Rich, for having me. It's a pleasure to have you and to get to know you. So I always ask people who come to the podcast their origin myth or how did they get their passion for what they do. Tell us about how Renee Bauer became entranced with divorce and being a divorce educator. Um, you know, it kind of happened by accident. I was working in a small law firm when I kicked off my legal career, and the firm was um, heavily into criminal defense work, but they also had a very small family law practice. And um, like most attorneys, unless you're really doing family law, like taking a couple cases here and there are really just a royal pain in the in the in the butt and those uh, those are the cases usually no one wants to take so when i yeah. joined this small firm they dumped them all on me oh nice um, and i found though that it was something that i really started to enjoy because i was able to impact uh people's lives in a way that was just really so different than what law school teaches you um, and I didn't know it, but I think I learned that I was really a mediator by nature. And I had kind of like a, a social worker angle as to how I practiced. And so it was really just this holistic approach of um, practicing law that I found that I could do in family law that I couldn't do in any other area. That makes perfect sense. So many attorneys who I know and who I work with actually have difficulty with the emotional side of the process. They understand the law, they understand about uh, division of assets, they understand about working with families and having a child schedule that works, but the emotional part sometimes baffles them. Right, right. And it's really the part that the clients almost need the most because they're not going to be able to make really good decisions about all of the division of assets and custody and all of that if they can't get their emotions under wrapped and they can't get their mindset straight. Um, everything else falls apart. Yeah, no, I, I work with a number of attorneys who call me to help their clients specifically with separating the emotional from the material so that they can divide those assets without spending $10,000 fighting over a right. $500 piece of furniture. Right. Uh, I understand completely. And I understand from what you just said, you're a trained mediator as well. I am, yep. So I mediate, which is I always say is the best way for any couple to get through the divorce. It's not right for everyone, um, but certainly if people are able to come to the table and work through an agreement through mediation, they're gonna be far better off. They're gonna be far happier with the result. Um, no agreement is perfect. And if both sides are a little unhappy, then it's probably um, right on point as to where it should be. But at least they're maintaining control over the entire Entire process compared to going into a courtroom and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the judge is going to do or how the judge is going to interpret your history. And they're getting such a small little bit of your life story. Um, and you're leaving some really important decisions in a stranger's hands. So mediation allows you to retain control over the process. And let me make a pitch for mediation as someone who mediates marriages. So I work as I'm a trained mediator also, but I help couples who are not sure what they wanna do with their relationship before they get to the divorce attorney. And what I love about the model, uh, the mediation model, is that it 
helps people to break through those communication log jams that they're having and to achieve some real understanding so they can get off of their position and start yeah. speaking from their interests. And so that process, whether it be in a, with a couple that's having difficulty and want to figure out where they want to go or whether they're in the divorce process is so huge in separating emotion from the material. Really, really cool. Right. And sometimes the person just needs to feel like they're being heard or feel like they have to, um, they want to get their story out and they can do that in that room, but they're doing it in a way with a professional who can help guide it. So it doesn't get out of control because if they're sitting at their home trying to make the other person listen or hear them, um, we know how that ends up. That's, you know, that's why they ended up in this position in the first place. So to have a professional who's been trained in that process and to help them through that, um, you know, it's so much better than going into a courtroom. And there's a judge in Connecticut who does a really great job before the beginning of every trial. And he holds a, up a piece of paper and says, this is your entire life. And he folds it in half and says, this is what you shared with your lawyer and folds it again and says, this is how much your lawyer is going to be able to present today. And then keeps folding the paper until it's like this little teeny square and says, this is how much information I will have to make a decision about your life you know, and how, how much, uh, how, how much do you trust me <laughs> to make that decision? And judges are just people too. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for mediation. Um, if, if people are willing to put the, their faith in that process. What a great graphic image. I love that. Folding the paper and folding the yeah. paper. And today we're going to talk about co-parenting in these really unusual circumstances. And yeah. I've, I've heard some and seen some, um, amazing, not necessarily positive, amazing co-parenting stories unfold in this where parents feel like they're not getting the time they should be getting because of COVID restrictions uh, and the things that they're doing to try and recover that time, even though it's right. no one's fault. And I think this is an awesome topic. So what kind of experiences are you having working with clients in the co-parenting sphere right now? Yeah, it's really challenging. And you know, the problem is you have people who can co-parent effectively, they're they're getting through this. It's not really a problem. They're able to pivot and adjust and make um, revisions to their parenting schedule without a glitch, but they've been working through before the pandemic. It's the people who are really high conflict that are having a, a hard time getting through this. And what's happening is exactly like you're saying is that people are, are losing out on time or some people are manipulating and using the pandemic as a reason to withhold parenting time. And the problem is there isn't a really good answer as to how to, how to move forward. So mm -hmm. in Connecticut, for example, the courts are um, functioning for emergency matters and virtual. And when you have a virtual hearing schedule that's limited to under an hour, and you're lucky if you're getting a date anytime soon. So there's really no quick fix into how to address these issues of things like this that are happening. And before where you could probably get into court pretty quickly, um, it's just not the case. And I imagine it's like that all over the country too, as all of these courts are trying to navigate um, what to do with a backlog of cases and how to deal with these parents that are high conflict. So, you know, it's going to really, I look at it as this is an 
a wonderful opportunity for parents to try to put aside their differences and try to come to the table and make decisions that's best for their children. Um, and people, some people are able to do that even if there's a lot of animosity, but with others, they're still so entrenched in their anger that um, I, I think that they're going to, right through the pandemic, there will be a struggle between the parents. Yeah, and what I'm finding with the clients that I'm working with is that the other parent may actually be making their best effort to keep to the parenting plan, but they're just so afraid. Right. They're afraid because they've got an 80 year old parent mm -hmm. or they're afraid because maybe they've got asthma or something like that. And so they're just super concerned about infection and it brings, un we know that fear drives anger. So right. what suggestions do you have for parents? Who, I think the, well, before I ask you the question, I think that it, it's really important for parents, where, where parents go when they're fearful is, it's the other person, they're doing it to me, and it's really easy go to, to go to fear, anger, and blame. So at, regardless of what's actually motivating the other parent, like they may not actually know what's motivating the other parent. So what right. suggestions would you have for parents just in sorting through those feelings? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's a great question. And I don't know if I have a great answer for it, because I think this, the situation that we're in has brought up all kinds of emotions for people and everyone's handling it in different ways. And you look at quarantine and some people are using that to start a new business and to um, have online classes and people are using that to, you know, completely panic and, um, become emotional and, you know, so it, everyone is reacting to this huge stressor in a different way. Um, you know, my best suggestion for parents to try to sit down and at least have a game plan that's consistent across both households if they can. You know, some set of rules that says, okay, if we're going to allow our child to see a friend, um, let's talk about who the friend is and, and um, why we're saying it's acceptable. Maybe that friend who has been quarantining. Um, or let's come up with some, some discussions about um, what school's going to look like and whether it's a hybrid model or whether they're going back full time because it's different in every state, city, you know, everywhere it's a little bit different. And at least try to have the same plan in both households. And I know that sounds almost impossible for people who are just, there's so much conflict or there's exactly what you're talking about. There's just so much fear, but there really isn't a good answer as to how to navigate this because it's not like you can run to a lawyer and the lawyer can flip you know, through a, some case law and said, well, here's our answer, or there's a statute on this, because there's nothing That's else. completely there. unique situation. And, right, and so we're, you know, as a divorce attorney, we're in that unique situation, trying to help people through this as well without having really good answers. And the best one is to try to be reasonable and try to have conversations that are child-centered and really keep the focus on what's in the best interest of your child and put aside um, maybe the things that you want or maybe your own um, personal feelings about your ex or your other parent. Um, so it's a, it's a tricky situation all around. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So your best advice sounds like is, <laughs> I'll practice my looping with you. It sounds like is that parents should do their best to get on the same page schedule wise in terms of what they're doing in their individual homes, which is a challenge when you're going through so much uncertainty and concern and all those good feelings we were talking about. What, are there any tools you would recommend for that? Um, 
Well, there's always the online tools for parenting communication. Um, if you're if you're asking for that, um, Google Calendar is always a good way of sharing information. Um, at least even just Google Docs as to updating. So I like to recommend um, parents have, you know, back when I started practicing like 20 years ago, we would say send a notebook with the child back and forth to the house and you write, and if your child is young, you write the notes about the eating schedule or the napping schedule, whatever it is that the other information that the parents need. But now we have Google Docs and, you know, so a parent can use that and they could have one shared document where the parent just kind of updates things and maybe information about what is happening um, in each of the parents' lives can go in there too. So for example, if they have to go to work and someone there has tested positive and it's, it's a parent has to be quarantined, then you know they're sharing information that way because sometimes that might be the better way to address it initially before picking up the phone if we know that there's going to be a lot of heightened emotion and um, as the response. And if that those two parents have not been able to really co-parent in a civil way, and we know that they're going to go to this this um, high conflict and a response that becomes really defensive, then documenting it might be the better way to at least start the conversation. But communication is everything. And I think to answer your question is the parents need to be communicating with each other every step of the way. And it's not necessarily something that's controlling, but it's something that if, if it impacts the well-being of your child, that information needs to be communicated to the other parent. I, I love the idea. Actually, I like the book. I had for, I'd forgotten about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I th maybe we should go back to the book. I know, right? It was. I feel like, you know, when I first started practicing, a lot of people were doing that. And then when everyone started texting, it, that's how things were being communicated. And it gets lost, you know, and then that your trail It has less and... tone. When you see right. the other person's handwriting, even that communicates tone. But I like the idea of, sh of having a shared uh, Google Doc or maybe something in Dropbox or whatever, where right. you're keeping a record of um, when they ate, how they slept, what you know, what's going on. And I was thinking as you were speaking, it might be really helpful to have a plan in advance what to do if one person feels they've been exposed uh, to, to COVID or if they're if they actually have it. So instead of instead of walking into that situation, which like what's inevitable for all of us is one of two things we're either gonna get a vaccine or we're gonna get the virus, like right. one or the other, because the, or we're gonna to continue to live at home waiting for this thing to pass. And it won't pass until one of those two things happens. So to have a plan in advance, in case you happen to fall into category B where you get the virus or the other parents gets the virus, might be really helpful. Yeah, agreed. What are some ways that people could do that? Um, so they can, they can use a mediator. So if they've had used attorneys or had a mediator, um, they can use, they can go back to that. Every mediator I know is doing it virtually. So it might be a really nice way just to have someone neutral there to help everyone hops on a Zoom call and just lay out some basic guidelines. It doesn't involve going back to court. It's just have, having someone there to help you. Um, so that could be someone like that or even a co-parent counselor um, or if some sort of um, therapist that maybe has been involved with the family if there was a guardian ad litem. Someone um, they feel safe with. Basically. Someone they feel comfortable with to just, you know, for a very, it's probably an hour's worth of time 
to ha hash out something which is some bullet points here this is the way we're going to operate so and i think that that's a great point is that trying to get ahead of it is probably better than dealing with it in the moment when when feelings and emotions are even that much more heightened and clearly you are a mediator what are, if people wanted to reach out to you to talk more about co-parenting or maybe they want to make a plan a covid plan what's a great way they can contact you Sure. Um, so my law firm website is uh, familylawyerct.com. Um, but if I'm over on Instagram and that kind of links me to everything else I have going on and my handle is at Ms. Renee Bauer. And from there, um, it will be, you'll be directed to everything that you need in order to get in touch with me. I'm, I'm going to have to make sure to look you up on Instagram. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Um, any any other last tips you might have? And it seems like as as we're talking, you know, this applies to parents who are already divorced and have a co-parenting plan right. in place, as well as people who are maybe negotiating one. Any last uh, tips you might have for people in either of those positions or both? Yeah, you know, it's 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 be reasonable. Um, and what I've have said to to clients is like, listen, this is a unique circumstance and it's going to require um, putting aside your differences and it's going to require um, coming to the table with an open mind. And you know, there isn't one right way of doing this and it could look in a very, a, a lot of different ways and there's no one that's going to be able to say, you have to do it this way. And you, even if you go to court, the judges are navigating this too. So they're, they're not going to have a one right, right way to do this. So the best way to do it is the one that keeps your child focused. Um, so do your best to really come to the table with an open mind, um, you know, even more so now than ever, because we're spending so much time at home, kids are really tuned in and aware of conflict between parents, and they're going to pick up on this, and they're going to know when they're not seeing one parent because something funny is going on, and, you know, I, I think it's so important right now that kids have some sort of consistency because nothing is consistent. The school is not consistent. You know, we have, there's so many strange things happening. So to maintain some sort of consistency and if at all possible, um, maintain the parenting plan. So your child is seeing both parents and maybe um, the activities are looking different on your, on one person's weekend uh, than it used to, but at least um, they're seeing, you know, they're, they're, something feels familiar to them and that's the schedule let's not disrupt their lives any further because it's already upside down and you know we have the power to really do that and it's our job and our uh, in, to um to make them feel safe and protected and that's the way to do it yes absolutely you know let me let me piggyback that so if you are a parent and your child is spending you feel more time with the other parent or you're not getting the opportunity that you want you can do what we're doing right now. You could have yeah. a video chat with them or phone call them. And, you know, if they're young, uh, we've actually got, I've got a three-year-old granddaughter in the house and her dad mm -hmm. calls and she's got, she's got about 10 seconds for him before, she, oh, yeah. before right. she's off doing the next thing. But don't think for a second that that doesn't make a difference to them. That, that you make that effort and that they, that they see your face. And remember that it's about them. Uh, so what my three-year-old granddaughter's dad is doing really well is he doesn't go, damn, she's run away again. You know, he just like, he, right. he, he just makes the next call and he's in there and mm -hmm. he's, you know, he's, 
maintaining that connection as best he can. And he's had some limitations due to COVID. Uh, yeah. And then the second piece is that it's really easy to get triggered. And so what we've been yeah. talking about in the beginning of the call is um, fear and anger are, can really be close to the top when there's constant change or on the other end, when you're having Groundhog Day over and over and over. I know. You know which seems to go with the, what's going on. There's constant change going on out in the world that's beyond our control. And yet yeah. here we are in our homes kind of living the same day again and again, it seems like sometimes. Uh, and trigger management is really key. And so great tools for trigger management are mindfulness, meditation, mm -hmm. and prayer. One or any of those. Uh, brain science yep. shows that when we use those tools regularly, it disrupts the, the, our amygdala, which is, which is what's triggering the anger and the fear. It's, that's the part of our brain that's always uh, looking for danger. Uh, and it's always on the alert. Uh, and so when we're triggered, it's that part of our brain saying, danger, danger, you know, fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And when we have those practices in our life, those incidences get shorter and we tend to move out of that part of our brain into a more rational part of our brain quickly. And so some quick tips would be, if you're having a conflict with the other parent and you know that you're having a stronger emotion than maybe the situation calls for, uh, say, excuse me, I need to take a time out and go to the bathroom or maybe say to them, if you know you're really triggered, I'll get back to you tomorrow and then mm -hmm. go do something that's going to help you get back in your body. And it, might, it could be mindfulness meditation or prayer. Or here's one that I recently learned that really freaks me out is to put your hands on your thighs and to blink your eyes slowly three times. One, two, three and let out a big breath. And apparently that sends a message to your unconscious mind and to your amygdala mm. that it's safe. Uh, because if you were in the, in the woods and there were a tiger, you would never stop and blink three times right. and run your ass off. Right. So apparently yeah. that technique is very effective. And just, and just look into ways that you can unhook that trigger. I'm sorry, go for it, Renee. Yeah, and you know, I love all of that. And um, Gabby Bernstein has this method that she teaches called Choose Again, and it's so easy. And it's, she says that when you have this triggering thought, um, you recognize it, acknowledge it for what it is, and then and say to it, say to yourself, like, okay, I hear you, and send it on its way, and then choose the next positive thought, and you keep doing that. And the whole point of it is to create this habit of when that thought comes up, you're acknowledging it and sending it, sending it off. It's almost like a, a meditation when you're awake with your eyes open, sending, sending that thought away, and then you keep choosing the next thought. And when you create a habit of that, you're not getting stuck in that negativity because it's so often when we start to have that negative thoughts, like I know, you know, someone was beeping at me from behind uh, driving to work today and that's going to get me all flustered. And now that could potentially snowball into uh, the point where I'm walking into my house at the end of the day saying it was a horrible day all because someone beeped at me, or I could, you know, choose to do something different with that and say, okay, well, that person was having a rough morning and I'm going to carry on and just um, not let that impact um, how I'm feeling for the rest of the day. I love that. Anything that's going to help you restart when you're in that place, yeah. it's going to take you to another part of your brain that's more analytical and you'll get some distance from it and then mm -hmm. you can reboot. That's beautiful. Renee, what is a legacy you'd like to leave behind? Yeah. So, you know, when I, so I'm divorced and when I was going through my own, I felt so much shame 
And I was so embarrassed. And so the legacy that I want to leave behind is to tell people that your divorce does not define you. It's a, just a brief moment in your life and that you can write whatever ending that you want to. And it's, it's, uh, it, it might be a tough moment and it probably is going to feel like it's debilitating at that time, but you can have a happy even after, and you just have to choose to not let that, um, really define you and get stuck in it. And there's nothing to be embarrassed about or, sh or, uh, shame, shameful about. And, um, you know, and that's sort of the, all of the work that I'm doing is let's start sharing our stories and talking so that everyone can feel supported and know that they're not alone in their journey. Awesome. Awesome legacy. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Let's do this again sometime. Yeah. Um, and we're going to have all of Renee's information uh, on the podcast notes. And you can probably Google Happy Even After and find her podcast, which I'm sure is awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Rich. It was so fun. Thanks Thank for you. having me.